Uncontrolled anger is to relationships what biscuits and gravy are to a man with high cholesterol. Deadly. While anger can be communicated without words, it is most often communicated with words. So as we continue to study what God says about communication, conflict, and reconciliation, we want to understand today what God says about anger and our communication and about how we ought to handle anger. Follow as I read from Ephesians 4, please, starting in verse 17. Therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you, you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and don't sin. Do not let the sin go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. In this great section where God is going to tell us things to put off from our old life and things to put on in our new life, the second topic that he comes to is the issue of anger. And we need to think, first of all, about what is anger and to realize that anger is, first of all, part of the nature of God. Anger is a unique experience for us in in this way, that it can be sin, it can lead to sin, but it's not necessarily sin in its origin. Anger is part of the nature of God. In Psalm 7, it says, God is a just or a fair judge, and he is angry with the wicked every day. Now, he's not just angry. Some people have a visual image of God as though he is that angry man in the sky, constantly looking at somebody whom he may hit with the hammer or with his fist. He's not angry only, but when there is wickedness, he is anger. He is angry at it, and that begins to give us a definition of anger. Anger is is a response from God towards sin. And as God has put anger inside of us, it is also a response towards sin. Jesus Christ himself, when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And as he stretched it out, his hand was was restored as whole as the other. This is one of those episodes when there were people around essentially criticizing Christ for the way he did things or the timing of when he did things. And he was angry at them because there was sin. I know we don't have a mental image of Christ being angry or that that anger would be righteous, and yet it was. God has anger as part of his character. He possesses anger, and he acts on the basis of anger at times. 
Now, that's not the same, again, as saying that God is always angry and always acting in an angry fashion. But anger is part of the nature of God, and um, as such, it is given to us when we were created with the image of God. We are not divine. We do not have the powers of God, but we have the, the image of God in terms of personhood in terms of intelligence, of the ability to think, the ability to feel, and the ability to choose. We have personhood, and part of what God communicated to us is the ability to have some of his nature in measure. We have the ability to love. We have the ability to communicate, the ability to reason, and we have the ability to be angry. And we begin to understand why the Scripture says, be angry, but don't sin. When we realize that anger is part of the nature of God, and God put it in us as a God-created response to injustice or wrongdoing. There's an example of this, uh, a beautiful example of this in 1 Samuel. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. This is an enemy of Israel coming up to attack them. And they say, well, maybe we'll make a, uh, a peace treaty. Okay, we'll make a peace treaty, then we won't have to go to war. That's what's going on. And Nahash the Ammonite answered the Israelites and said, here's the condition for the peace treaty. I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. If I can gouge out your eye, then I'll make a peace treaty with you. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, those are the Israelite people, hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel, and then if there's nobody to save us, we will come out to you. This is a tough spot they're in. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. All they could do was go, oh, this is terrible. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen and he cut them in pieces, and he sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. And you know, Saul was a head taller than everybody else in the land, so I'm getting the feeling that when Saul talked, people listened. That's righteous anger. It is possible to be angry and to be righteous. It's important to understand that. Because if you get the impression in your mind today that you should never be angry, and if you are ever angry, then you're away from the Lord, that is not true. But just as it's true that anger is from the Lord, it is also true that we have to control it. Anger is a God-created response to injustice or to sin. When we see the oppression of a nation by a tyrant, 
like Saddam Hussein or Muammar Gaddafi, and when we get angry enough to go over there and say, you're going to stop that, that is an angry response. It can be a righteous response. When we see a man take advantage of investors like Bernie Madoff did, there's anger, and it's righteous anger. When someone doesn't treat us kindly, there is an in, a sense of injustice that is aroused inside of us. When someone cuts us off in traffic, we think, Everybody get out here or I'm going to cut your oxen in pieces if we don't take care of this wrongdoer. When you get to the store to return your wife's shoes and you find yourself at the wrong store, you want to reach out for somebody to blame because something is not right here. There are all kinds of things that arouse a sense of anger within us, a sense of injustice. There has been a wrong suffered, and often when our anger comes up, it is because we believe we have suffered a wrong, or we have actually suffered a wrong. We are created in the image of God, and part of that image is our ability to become angry with wrongdoing. What does the sinful expression of anger look like? Well, if you're in Ephesians 4 still, look at verse 31. I believe Ephesians 4.31 is a summary of the wrong expressions of anger. You can find these words and the condemnation of these behaviors throughout the New Testament, but this is a good summary. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness literally means to cut or to pierce. Like a thorn on a rose push, pierces your skin. When we meditate, when we meditate, when we actively think on an anger-inducing situation, and when we decide to act in a cutting or piercing manner, that is a sin. We have allowed the anger-inducing situation to, to, to take root in our life, and that's what the Scripture calls bitterness. You know, if a man lays in wait or lies in wait for another man with a knife in his hand, and if when he sees him, he plunges the knife into his heart, we call that a crime, a premeditated crime. Doing it with words is a crime as well. By God's standard, it's bitterness. The next word in that list is wrath, and it has the idea of boiling agitation of the feelings. We use the phrase, it makes my blood boil. Uh, this, the, this defining phrase is quoted by a couple of Greek scholars. The word seems to be a description of the sinful internal effect of anger. The idea that there is this churning, that this rage, this, this, this boiling of the feelings inside. And then the next word seems to be the outward expression of that anger. The author said, who commented said this, The boiling feelings rising like a tide, if it is not controlled, overflows in anger, and this shows itself in sinful behaviors. 
The next word, clamor, is not a word we use very often, but this one is. The word clamor is one of those words that was developed from a sound. There are words in the scripture that are, and and words in our language for that matter too, that are onomatopoetic. That's a 50 cent word that means it's a word that sounds like what it is. And this word actually is taken from the sound of the raven. And, and if we were to, to, to say it, we would say sinful anger results in this. <laughs> so parents, here's a new word for you. Stop clamoring. (laughs) Clamor is the outward showing of anger in words. Over and over and over and so on. And then the word evil speaking is often, more often in the scripture, translated blasphemy, and it means to say something bad. When we see the word blasphemy or when we hear it, we think it's always about God. But the word in the New Testament, in the New Testament just means to say something bad. And so you can blaspheme anyone or anything. And the context defines who it's aimed at. Here, it's just talking about the, the expression of anger in purposefully hurtful communication. And then the last word, malice just means any kind of moral evil, and it seems to be, seems to be kind of a wrap-up word in the list because if you notice there, it says, with all malice. In other words, there's all kinds of malice, um, and so if we go back over the list, we, we, we've got wrath, anger, clamor, evil spanking, evil speaking, and all kinds of... Uh, yeah, evil spanking, there's, some of that goes on too. All kinds of moral evil. I can tell it's going to be hard for me to be serious today, huh? Now, here's an example of all of these things wrapped into one. Okay, This is from the Bellingham Herald. This is from the big city of Bellingham. A 57-year-old Bellingham woman was arrested on Saturday, September 25th, accused of using her car as a battering ram against another vehicle. About 1 p.m., the victims were inside their car waiting at the intersection of East Chestnut and Railroad Avenue when the woman in the car behind them began honking her horn and screaming at them to move, said Mark Young, spokesman for Bellingham Police Department. The driver was unable to move, however, because of the traffic. At that point, I won't name the woman because I don't need to defame her, but at that point, that woman rammed the back bumper of the victim's vehicle several times causing significant damage to both cars. (laughs) Multiple witnesses confirmed the incident, and the suspect was located by the Bellingham police at Farmer's Market. The woman told officers she became angry after being flipped off, and and I suppose by those other people. She was booked into the Whatcom County Jail. Now, I'm going to just suppose that what happened was she honked her horn because they didn't go quick enough, and they turned around and said, pick a finger. And she thought, I'm going to show you, buddy. Kawango! Yeah! Wow! 
wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. It's all there. Now, what does the sinful expression of anger accomplish? This is important because God tells us what it accomplishes. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Sinful anger assists the devil. I have two guest rooms in my house, but I would never give the devil a place to stay. If he came knocking on the door, I would say, absolutely not. And I imagine you would do the same thing. But is it possible that the surest way to invite the devil into your life is to hang on to anger and then act sinfully based on it? Look what Paul says. He's talking to the Corinthians. They had a situation where they had to, they had to publicly uh, judge sin in their church. And, and now, there's, now it's time to forgive. And he says, now, now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. This is clearly inferring that for Paul to persist in an attitude of bitterness, of not forgiving, would be to play into the hand of the devil and to assist the devil in his work of disrupting churches, of disrupting families, of, of making havoc in the world. Sinful anger, the sinful expression of anger assists the devil in his work. What if you, what have you ever thought when you thought about these verses in the past? Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Did you ever picture the devil walking around trying to induce people to bitterness? Did you ever picture him walking around trying to get people to harbor their anger and to meditate on it and to act out on it in a sinful way? I think when we read these verses, we have some grand concept of the devil doing some huge thing in some part of the world. But he's running about and so are his minions trying to get people to harbor their anger in a sinful way. Might the devil just be looking for someone who has been hurt to whom he can whisper, don't forgive, attack. The lack of forgiveness is a tool of the devil. In fact, what we read there from the Apostle Paul was, I have forgiven that one in the presence of Christ. Do you understand that the Apostle Paul took care of it in front of the Lord? He didn't have a chance to talk to the man personally. He said, I don't want Satan to get an advantage of us. 
The second thing we need to understand about the expression of anger and what it accomplishes is this. Sinful anger spreads sin. This passage here clearly tells us that our sinful anger helps the devil. But look at this verse here. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. This is true of of much sin, not just this sin. But sinful anger spreads sin. Are you a peacemaker or a troublemaker? Do you bring blessing into a room or defilement? This is what James 1.20 means when it says that the wrath of man does not accomplish the will of God. We think we're going to do something you know, we're going to be powerful and we're going to get people to change or whatever. But we don't accomplish the, we don't accomplish the will of God. So what is the right way to handle anger? The, those feelings of injustice will swell up that, that sense of being wronged. And it may be true. It may be a real wrong that, that happens. What is the righteous way to handle it? Well, number one is control it. And the question I need to ask myself is, am I responding or reacting? Am I responding or reacting? We have to respond, but we don't have to react to what happens. Control it. One in 20 of us may have explosive rage disorder. This is from the newspaper. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Oh, it's you. It's it's you, Melanie Hively. Yes. I know you look really peaceful and calm, but I know. One in twenty Americans may be susceptible to uncontrollable anger attacks in which they lash out in road rage, spousal abuse, or other severe transgressions that are totally unjustified. Researchers from Harvard and the University of Chicago have found 4% to 5% of people in a nationwide study of the condition called intermittent explosive disorder, abbreviated IED. Yeah, like the bombs in Iraq. Were found to have physically assaulted someone, threatened bodily harm, or destroyed property in a rage, an average of five times a year. Now, you know who has uh, intermittent explosive disorder? What is the percentage? What is the true percentage of people that have that disorder? One hundred percent, because it is out of the heart that evil things proceed. And we all have the potential for that. But when God says, be angry, but don't sin, He is clearly telling us that anger is not an autonomous emotion. The word autonomous means self-ruled or self-generating. Clearly, God is saying to you, you can control this. 
I understand and I believe that there are there is such a thing as a real physical impairment to the brain that can change behaviors. I understand that. I could give you an example from a pastor friend of mine. His did not come out with anger, but it came out with some other symptoms. I understand that. But I understand that God's command is God's command. And that those people who have a genuine disorder of their physical brain, which is medically diagnosable, is about that many compared to the rest of us. And if you're going to blame your anger on a problem with your brain, then get in for some brain surgery. Okay? Because if there's a problem with your brain, then something needs to be done with it. And I don't say that flippantly. But the vast majority of us have anger that is controllable. It is not an autonomous emotion. If your anger was beyond your control, God would not tell you to control it. I mean, if you want to try to argue that anger is somehow an autonomous emotion, then let's go with the worldly perspective on adultery. There's been much scientific research trying to prove that men are naturally um, not true to their spouse. They are genetically predisposed to fool around. And if you're going to excuse anger on the basis of some supposed defect in physiology, then you should start excusing adultery also. No, God says this is a controllable thing. God never tells us to work also. This is a second. Did I put this up here? No. God never tells us to work on our emotions. He does command us to control our thoughts and behaviors. See, sometimes people will say, I have an anger problem. I'm going to pray that God will take it away. God will not take it away, but he will change your thoughts, and he's capable of changing your behaviors if you will go to him and ask. And if you will pick up what he's already given you. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal or physical or fleshly, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You want a standard to work toward in your Christian life, work toward that one. Bringing every thought into obedience to the captivity, bringing it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Wow! That's what has to change if we are going to control our anger. Here's what happens in every process, in every stage of our life, but we don't always perceive it as a process. First of all, there is an event. There's an event. Second of all, there is a response to the event. Then there is a reflection on what's happened, and then a behavior, and then a feeling. My dad used to talk about the rain, and the reason I know these stories from my dad's life is he used to tell them to us over and over and over as though they were brand new every time. And so they're burned into my brain. But he said, I love the rain. How many of you have whined about the rain in recent days? Don't raise your hand. You know you have. 
He said, I love the rain. You know why he loved the rain? See, the rain is the event. The question is, do you love it or hate it? Or are you ambivalent toward it? How do you respond to the rain? You know why he loved the rain? Because he was raised on a farm in the Depression era when all the kids worked from as, as, as soon as they were old enough to get out in the field. They got out in the field. He, he even missed weeks of school because they had to bring the harvest in. And, and that was their life. But you know when they got a day off? When it rained. He said, oh, I loved it when it rained. I would, I would go up in the barn and there would be some peanut hay. And we'd search through the peanut hay to find a few loose peanuts and we'd hang out and eat peanuts and it was a wonderful day. There's an event and there's a response to the event based on thoughts. And then there's a behavior and then there's a feeling. And over time, these processes, these, these re- responsing processes become our habits. If I was to bring a snake into the room... How many of you would say, can I hold it? There you go. I want everybody else to turn to those people and say, you're messed up. (laughs) Now, is the snake the problem? Yes. (laughs) Okay, event, response. But... Those of you, especially those of you who are really terrified of snakes, have responded so often, so many times over so many years, that you think it is an automatic response. The truth is, you can step back from any event and go, wait a minute. How does God want me to think about this event? Why does God say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials? And then he says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. This is the same concept applied toward trials. God says, trials are going to come. Now, when you look at that trial, you need to stop and go, wait a minute. Before I react to this, What is God doing here? God, what do I know about trials from the Scripture? God is at work through trials to do something in my life, and so I am going to choose to respond to it with... With what? Joy. Is that natural? When the guy cuts you off in traffic, do you naturally go, Man, I am so glad that space was empty. And I'm glad it's getting used now. No, you have a natural response to it. Based on what you've been practicing for years. Based on what you learned to see your dad do. Why is it when I turn around, I tend to go like that? Because when my dad turned around in the car, he went like that. I don't know. What is it? My skin wasn't big enough. I don't know. I'm not picking on him. We can control our anger, but we have to stop when that anger-inducing event comes and go, wait a minute, my normal response is not godly. My normal response is not godly. The first thing that a godly person would do would be to say, is my anger righteous? Is my anger righteous? 
Saul's anger was righteous. God's anger with the wicked is righteous. My anger about trying to take my wife's shoes back to the store was not righteous. It was my fault. Now, if I'd, st- I, as I did stop and consider it, I stopped and said, you know, I'm really disappointed that I've wasted my time and my opportunity. It's really not even an angry thing, but I've, I've wasted something here that I can't get back. Who am I angry at? I'm really angry at myself for not listening better, not writing something down, not paying attention, whatever it is. Okay, the righteous man says, whoa, there's something making me angry. I've got to stop and think about it. Now, for those of you that are going, oh, I can't take time to stop and think about it every time something makes me angry. Let me just tell you, if you will start to do this, pretty soon you will build new habits responses to things and you won't have to think quite so much because you'll get into righteous habits but we've got to consider it this is what jesus meant when he said uh, you've heard it was said to those of old you should not murder whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment but i say to you whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Have you ever noticed that in that little passage? We're familiar with it because Jesus upped the standard, you know, to, to not, you know, murder is here, but he said, now listen, anger leads to murder, so be careful about anger. But he says, there may be a time when there is a cause to be angry. And so what he was condemning was anger that is just selfish and sinful, not anger that is, that is just and righteous. So, when we're considering anger, we need to ask some question. Was there sin? Did they attack me on purpose? Is this reality or perception? The challenge with anger is that we might get just as angry over a perceived injustice as we do over a real injustice. Many years ago, I I received a very angry letter from a man uh, in a previous church, and, and I called him up and said, hey, let's have lunch and talk about this, because this came straight out of left field to me. And we sat down, and, and I said, bud, uh, called him my name, I won't do that today, but I said, what, what, what happened here? And for a year, he had been angry with me. He'd been thinking on this for a year, He said, when you see me, you don't call me by name. And the reason you don't do that is because you don't like me because I used to be a Catholic. Now, there's, there's one piece of truth in there. And the truth is, I'm not really good at remembering everybody's name right on the spot. And so sometimes I don't call people by their first name right on the spot every time I see them. I, either it's not a learned habit or there's something nervous in me. I don't know what it is. That's true. I pr- I'm sure I did not call him by his first name every time I saw him. Okay, But the Catholic part, I said to him, Bud, I am proud of you, blessed by you, that you realized the truth and escaped that false religion, and were able to come into the truth of Christ. I admire you. And he thought from the fact that I had said some things from the pulpit about 
the Catholic religion, that somehow I was trying to dig at him. Folks, this is a perceived injustice. I'm glad that he came to me so we could clear it up. Often, we cannot know the reality of a situation. We cannot really consider it without some careful communication to find out what we don't know. I cannot assume that I know everything about this situation. When a guy cuts me off in traffic, why do I assume he did that on purpose? Maybe he's just thinking about something else like I do when I'm driving down the road. Maybe he's just oblivious. Um, my wife is really good at giving other people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not that good. And I'm sure that's part of the reason God called us together, for me to learn that. And I'm still working on it. God says, consider your anger. Think about it. And then, number three, commit justice to God. Commit justice to God. Are you familiar with this passage? Repay no one evil for evil. If you had an anger-inducing situation and you're considering paybacks, right off the bat, you know that's wrong. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now you need to take note of that phrase, give place to wrath, because in the original language, it's written this way. Give place to the wrath. And I think the translation is best put like this. God is going to exercise wrath. The NIV puts it this way. Um, give place to the wrath of God. God says that, may, that for us... We are not to make people pay for their sin. That is his job. When it says give place to wrath, we give place to his wrath. Leave room for God's wrath. Is it possible that our wrath displaces God's wrath so the person never really repents and changes because we have stopped the work of God? David was anointed as king but Saul refused to give up the throne. And so Saul chased David around the desert for almost 20 years until one day David had a chance to kill Saul, and he didn't. And here's the scripture. So it was when David had finished speaking, he, he spoke to him and he said, Hey, I've been righteous with you. I had a chance to kill you, but I didn't do it. David finished speaking. Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then Saul said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he not get him, will he not get him away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. 
From this point on, Saul never chased David, never tried to kill David. In fact, it was just within a short period that Saul went out to war and Saul got killed and David became king. Now, who changed Who changed Saul's heart? Did David's expression of anger change Saul's heart? No. God melted Saul's wicked heart by the righteousness of David. This was the end of their conflict. Commit justice to God. Letter D, consistently live for God. And I know that's the whole theme of what we're talking about. But again, listen to David's reflection on being wronged. And it could have been a reflection on what we just heard or something else. But how long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah, and that, that word means to stop and think. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear me when I call on him. See, David is being attacked and criticized, and, and he says, the Lord will hear me when I call on him. And here's where this phrase comes from. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. David said, when you're wrongly attacked, when you're wrongly criticized, trust in God and go right on offering the sacrifices of righteousness. That's an Old Testament way to say, keep on living for the Lord. Continue to do all kinds of righteousness, whatever is in front of you. Letter E, confess it. Now, confessing it has to do with, if I have not controlled, considered, committed, and consistently lived for the Lord, maybe I have expressed my anger, and I need to stop right now and say, you know what, God, I realize after some consideration that I have done wrong. 1 John 1, nine says, if we confess, he forgives. And we may need to do that. Another option that we have in this whole process is once we consider it, is we may have the option of covering this particular wrong. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Um, In every family, there are little difficulties between people. This person does this this way, and this person does this that way. And after a while, we think, why can't you do this that way? And I think those are prime targets for us to say, you know what? I'm just going to let love cover a multitude of sins. I'm not going to keep meditating on it, because if love truly covers the sin, then what I have done is I've said, you know what? I love this person. The Lord loves this person. And this just is not worth talking about. And I'm just going to let it go. Now, if you cannot let it go, and if it truly is a sin against you, if it truly is a wrong that's been done, there needs to be confrontation. And we'll talk about this more later in this series. You know, uh, Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault between him and him alone. Let me just say at this point, though, you need to be sure there's sin. And you need to be sure that in the process of going, that you go with an open heart and an open mind that says, 
brother, sister, relative, there's a, there was a problem here. This is a concern to me. Can you tell me about it? And you go with an open heart and mind. And if there was sin, you will find that out. If there was not sin, you will find out what you need to know so you can let this thing go. Which brings me to the, to the last issue here, which is having compassion towards sinners. Uh, let's listen to the words of Jesus again. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies. I say to you, love your enemies. That means we are to act as righteously toward our enemies as we act toward those that we consider our closest loved ones. Why? Why? Because when you act that way, you show yourself to be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Can you imagine if God only made the sun to shine on those who are righteous? You'd get up in the morning and you'd go, oh, let's see who's living for the Lord today. Oh, not him, not him, not him. God makes the sun to shine on those who are righteous. In other words, there is a certain graciousness to God, even though he has anger toward those who are wicked. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The standard here is to be like God. The standard is not to be less angry than your neighbor or less angry than your, your, your relative that came before you. The standard is to be like God. Uh, a famous preacher from years ago, uh, Harry Ironside, wrote this, Just get quietly into the presence of God, and then you will be able to look at things from a right standpoint. And as you think of your own failures of the many, many times that God in grace has forgiven you, it will make you very lenient as you think of the failures of others. And instead of getting up on the judgment seat and judging another believer, it will lead you to self-judgment that will bring blessing, whereas the other is only harmful to your own spiritual life. Having... God's perspective on other people. <sighs> Terrible tornadoes down in the south. Um, imagine your neighborhood looking like that. For sale. <laughs> Pool and basement, fully furnished. Lounge, large sunroom, firm on price. A tornado is a destructive force of nature. Do you know that tornadoes, though, are a result of the wind that God created? Wind is a good thing. Wind does a lot of good things in our environment, and if we didn't have wind, we'd have problems. And yet because of the sin that's in our, our, our 
our earthly world as well as our spiritual world around us, the earthly elements are out of sync as well. God created the wind for good purpose, but in the corruption of creation that sin brought, it's a destructive force. God created your tongue and your ability to communicate and your anger. The challenge for us is to use these creations of God for his glory and for the blessing of people, not their destruction. Heavenly Father, help us. So many things spur us to an angry response. Some of the littlest, dumbest things and some things that are quite big and important. And we need your help to sort it out. We need your help to control ourselves. We need your help to consider and to really respond in a righteous way. Help us to do that. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.